welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Matthew writes, Then, after his baptism, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated and good morning. Again, this first uh, Sunday in Lent and a very peculiar transition from yesterday's promise of spring to today's reminder that it's not yet. But I want us to um, take a look at the well-known text of the temptation in the wilderness by uh, taking a bit broader view and um, remembering these also familiar words uh, that bracket the temptation in the wilderness. The words are these, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, as I say, these words bracket Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, the gospel lesson for the opening of the season of Lent, but they're first spoken by John the Baptist at Jesus' baptism. It was after the baptism that Jesus then uh, takes this time in solitude to be prepared and to prepare himself for what was come. After the temptation, but before Jesus calls his first disciples, these words are echoed by Jesus 
repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so these words bracket, if you will, uh, this account of the temptation. In the temptation, Matthew describes a 40-day period of time of deprivation, multidimensional trial and testing, certainly physical discomfort, physical pain, Then comes at its conclusion or during its fulfillment the allure of political power, all the kingdoms of the earth. Self-doubt, I suspect, at some point. As the tempter put before Jesus those things that might deter him from his destiny or cause him to fail mid-course should Jesus succumb to the frailties of the flesh? The question becoming, in the end, would Jesus misuse the possibilities of divinity in order to ease the temptations of humanity? Certainly, as we look at this great interval of time, urges that as the days passed were unrelenting, and certainly becoming ever more acute. What would Jesus do? Only time would tell. Well, having finally endured to the end this period of time, described as 40 days, Jesus emerged from the Judean wilderness with a honed edge, a purpose and, and, and to me and my reading, a detectable kind of determination and grit. Even an edge in his voice as he announced what John had declared before him. Such that if Herod or anyone else thought they could silence what was underway, the good news, they were wrong. For as John before him had declared, so now Jesus declares subsequently, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is now nearer than ever. Now, we know that John the Baptist understood that he was not the one. But the witness of the dove, the witness of the voice at the Jordan River when Jesus was baptized, that revealed to John and to the world that Jesus was the one. What remained to be seen, to be determined, was whether Jesus would take up this mantle, this burden of being the Messiah. The burden of the Messiah, of course, would be the sin of the world. And I suggest that while some things are worth dying for, their worth does not make the dying any easier. And so it is, we begin the season of Lent, and we ought to be mindful of that, while some things may be worth dying for. That's not going to make the dying any easier. Both John and Jesus called those who had ears to hear to repentance, and that becomes very much the theme of the season of of Lent. John and Jesus called those who heard them to repent. Repentance is an interesting word, by the way. Uh, Repentance quite literally means to be proceeding one way and then to turn 
and to come back. Repentance means to turn around and go back, to walk one way and then the other. And so this word that we know but seldom use, in order to repent, I'm going to suggest this season of Advent, there first needs to be a particular kind of honesty. And that honesty is a radical kind of self-honesty, honesty that demands in the process, though, that there be a standard, some standard against which all else is to be judged. A reason to turn back. Now, we live in a culture and in a time that's coined a number of interesting phrases and ways of self-justification, I would suggest. We live in a culture that has, in particularly perhaps the last quarter century, enshrined the denial of any standards that cannot be challenged. Repentance has consequently to have proven an, an ever shorter supply. In a setting in which everyone's entitled to their own truth, any need for repentance becomes suspect because everyone owns their own version of what is right and wrong. And this, we are told, ought to be celebrated. Why, therefore, should one ever repent? Because the problem is always out there, never in here. Why repent? For John the Baptist and for Jesus, the answer seems to have been because the kingdom of heaven is nearer now than ever before. God's kingdom of the already and the not yet. The promise of the already and the not yet is one that seems to entice and encourage people forward, not just theologically, but always. Yet in God's kingdom, there exists one truth, not as many truths as are our opinions. In God's kingdom, truth is revealed and made known for Judeo-Christian people through Holy Scripture. That's the function of these texts that we read on such a regular and scripted basis on Sunday mornings and encourage the reading of throughout the week. Scripture is, to borrow a Latin phrase from the 16th century, the time of the Reformation, the norm that is not normed. This also can roughly be translated as the rule that rules other rules. God's rules rule us and not the other way around. Now I've heard it said that the authority of Scripture lies in our, your, my, our willingness, one's willingness to live under them and by them and according to them. And I believe that true. To be willing to be both judged by Scripture and also to be saved through the promises contained therein. That's to live under the authority of Scripture. In the temptation, today's text, the devil's entreaties were all aimed at persuading Jesus to turn away from that norm, that rule, that Scripture that he knew. 
the devil attempted to persuade Jesus to turn from his past, abandon his people, and change his growing self-awareness and self-understanding in order to embrace, ultimately as we know what happened, to be ruled by the whispers of not merely the devil, but of his own human inclinations towards having food. Avoid loneliness in the wilderness, fear, and misplaced trust. Sin is misplaced trust. I think we see shades of that in the text you heard from Genesis, right? Uh, Because you have listened to a voice other than mine, that of Eve, and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. Okay, misplaced trust. We then encounter at the end of the 40 days what I think is a rather um, defiant Jesus, a resolute Jesus, a Jesus who demanded, be gone, Satan, saying, I'll never trust you, nor will I trust my human nature, saying, next you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And it was, we are told at this point, that Satan, spiritually speaking, uh, and maybe Jesus' doubts during his temptations, departed him. And he emerged, doing what? Proclaiming those words that we began with, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the Satan, in Greek, hosatanos, okay, hosatanos. Jesus' tempter. He's always found with a definite article in front of the noun, the Satan. Because Satan was not so much a, a name as a function. And Satan's function was to be the accuser. Jesus would have known of the Satan primarily through his knowledge of the book of Job. Everyone knows of the book of Job. Few have read it. Where Satan first appeared wasn't in the Garden of Eden, that was simply the serpent. Though many make the not unreasonable leap that it was also the devil, the Satan. But in the book of Job is where we meet the Satan. And Job, by the way, is perhaps the oldest book of the Bible, the oldest epic story of human history. Scholars can date it back about 2000 B.C., quite ancient. And in Job, Satan comes among Job's children as Job's family presented themselves before the Lord. And speaking to Satan, the Lord first inquired where Satan had been. Upon the earth, going to and fro is the answer. And in this exchange, there appears no animosity. God was God. That seemed to be fairly well settled. It was when the Lord went on to praise Job that Satan saw his opportunity to make his move, not unlike the garden. Satan then challenged the Lord. Satan asserted that if Job's good fortunes were ever taken away from him, Job would curse 
the Lord to his face. And so it was, having first to obtain permission of the Lord, Satan went about dismantling and destroying everything Job held dear. If you can name it, if Job possessed it, Satan destroyed it. And so severe were Job's sufferings, for the Lord had said Satan could not kill Job, that in the end, Job did lash out against the Lord. It was only after the Lord stood Job tall and demanded of Job just who he thought he was, speaking thus to the Lord, that Job, there's our word, repented. Job repented in ashes and dust, as we have heard today. It was in that utter humiliation and helplessness of the moment that we are told Job finally found the redemption and the restoration that he sought. Listen to Job's words. Job answering the Lord in the 42nd chapter of that very long book. Job said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in ashes and dust. But now my eye sees you. John the Baptist saw, Jesus saw, and they call those who saw all who would hear to repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so as we begin this season of Lent, repentance seems the key, a very good place to begin. The key to an ever nearer kingdom of heaven, repentance of those things, reasonable and unreasonable, that keep seeking to separate us from that which we desire, to be closer to God and knowing better that relationship. Repentance, I suggest, stems from a radical self-honesty. And perhaps a radical self-honesty would be a very good place to start one's Lenten journey this or any other year. Radical self-honesty, particularly if that radical self-honesty and being honest to God leads to repentance. And as we know then, through repentance, finding, not losing oneself, finding oneself even closer to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God than we surely would have been before. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.